0: Filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia, Or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster.
1: Reading one article about the Ottoman-Hungarian wars and then reading another. And then before I know it, I've read like about like seven or eight. That was like a 160-year war. Um wow. and we just don't even like learn about it in school, um, unless you. I guess you must have majored in European history in college.
0: would was when you might have heard about it. But and so, how much time did you spend on Wikipedia reading about the Ottoman-Hungarian well, War?
1: It was at least an hour and a half because you start like you start reading about the various people involved and like the different battles and why it was important and how far the Ottomans got into Europe. They had a siege on Vienna that was the, the high point of their expansion into Europe. Um, so now you're, now everyone that's listening in is learning about, uh, the past. Um, the, the siege of Vienna was, uh, the, apparently the, the, the Viennese brought in a German mercenary and he was like extremely brilliant. He was like a 70 year old man, but he was brilliant and he fortified their city in different ways than they already had. And that's how they stopped the siege long enough to get the Ottomans to go away. Um, and thus Austria didn't become Turkish
0: it was almost.
1: I'm kind of. I'm kind of leaving out some details in that last
0: sentence. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to draw. <laughs> I did not to, become Turkish. I'm trying to draw a parallel to soccer and, and coming up blank. It's just not happening. Yeah. So instead, I'll say, "Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the European history slash Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We are all from BlackandRedUnited.com. That's where you can find us writing about." DC United, MLS, the US national teams, and whatever else happens to strike uh, our Austrian Austria. history. We usually don't write about Austrian history. We save that that gold, that liquid gold, for the podcast.
2: Liquid gold.
0: So, so you're you're the only people uh, who follow the site who are hearing this right now, dear listeners of Filibuster. We've got a good show for you tonight, despite the fact that DC United fell this weekend, two to one. At FC Dallas, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about DC United's upcoming return to RFK at long last after it seems like months on the road. It's only been like six weeks, but it feels like months, you guys.
2: I hate months. you, Dave Grohl.
0: <laughs> Dave Grohl and his giant throne are, are probably still tearing up the field. His iron RFK. throne. Um, DC United returns to the friendly confines of RFK Stadium this Sunday night, 5 p.m., to take on the Philadelphia Union. We'll talk about that one, and we'll also talk about the Gold Cup, which had some hijinks uh, this weekend. We'll talk about that. We'll mm-hmm. talk about the U.S. Mm-hmm. performance, which I don't think can be called hijinks. I think it has to be called domino. But we'll, we'll tell you more about why later. Before we get to any of that, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking?
1: So if you live around uh, D.C., you are aware that the weather recently has been utterly intolerable. Um, it's been super humid and, and also hot. Um, and so the only cure for uh, the late July, early August, summer humidity, heat, misery is a gin ricky. And that is what I have with uh, Green Hat Gin because it's the D.C. gin. And also because uh, it was the closest gin to my hands when I reached. Because I got more than one
0: Um
2: it also it's seems also to be a, the unofficial gin of the Filibuster podcast. Unofficial yeah. only in the fact that they don't pay us.
0: Yeah. Right. If they wanted yeah. to, I can promise you we would accept their... Oh, yes. Uh, yes. There's sponsorship. We would, we would we or accept or under, just gin. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we would, would accept also accept gin. gin, and,
2: gin. gin yeah. in
1: lieu of... Oh, movie. yeah. Like, enthusiastically. Maybe even more than money. Uh, the gin would be
0: better. <laughs> it, it's true. <laughs> um, no, Green Hat actually makes a really good Ricky, too.
1: Right, it's not even it's not even just that it's DC's gin, it's actually a really good match for the drink.
0: Yeah, I think honestly a classic London dry gin makes an underwhelming Ricky. It needs more of the kind of botanical forward right. notes that, that American style gins will will, yeah. will give you. You know, blue coat's an American gin, but it's a it's a dry style gin. It doesn't right. give you the same punch that a uh, that that Catoctin Creeks gin that I had. Uh, a couple of months ago, or or Green Hat does, so I, I'm with you 100% there. I'm I'm drinking something new and interesting, and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it yet. Uh, so I'm down in South Carolina right now, and I, oh. I stopped at the store today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stopped at the store today um, and, and saw Westbrook Brewing Company out of Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. They have a beer where, when you look at the can, the first thing you see is sour, salty, delicious. And being a lover of all things weird and interesting, well, many things, not all things, many things weird and interesting, I I had to look at it more closely. It is a revival of a German-style Goza beer. Okay. uh, Which is traditionally, it's a wheat beer traditionally brewed with coriander and salt. And the salt comes through. <laughs> it, is, it is a sour and salty it, beer, and I'm not altogether comfortable with it. I think I like it, but I'm not altogether comfortable with it yet. A,
1: a few weeks ago, I was uh, getting a beer with my dad in um, Northwest, and I can't remember the maker of the beer, but it was Bikini something or other sour ale, and I ordered it, and the bartender was like, I wanted to let you know, like this is no joke, it is a sour ale. Like, sour is the operative word, and I was like, I'm ready for it, I'm, I, I can deal with it. He was like, just, again, for emphasis, sour. And so he gives it to me, and I drink it, and I, you can immediately feel it, like, in your jaw joints, how sour mm-hmm. this beer was. It was good, it did not, it did not have salt in it, uh, there was no saltiness to it. But I was like, they really weren't kidding. This is, this was not a sour, quote-unquote, this is a
0: straight-up sour beer. Yeah, see, I, uh, when we go to a, a Belgian restaurant or something in D.C., and there are a lot, in D.C., a lot with really good beer menus, too. I always like to order the the Flemish red sour beers, like Victonar uh, mm-hmm. is one of my favorites, and they're sour. They are sour beers, and I love them. Um, they're not an everyday beer, but they can be yeah. really, really good and refreshing, and, and and they're certainly not boring. And this beer is not boring, but the salt is just way different. It's almost <laughs> I, it's something I still have to get Get my head around, um, but but once you get past the salt, there is the sour too, and it, the the description. I should have looked into it to make sure. Uh, it says that this style of beer went, nearly went extinct, and I'm sure Ben is thinking for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> but but it also says this very refreshing style is making a comeback, and I could see it being refreshing if it's super if I'm like outside in the the heat and humidity of South Carolina.
2: I will. I will say three out of three filibusterers agree that sour beer, sour beers
0: are good. So yeah, I I'm, think, just, I'm
2: just questioning the saltiness.
0: Yeah, in, I mean, always question saltiness, in all forms. What about whether, garlic salt? Especially question garlic salt. Why? It's because it's usually covering up some flaw. It's like overlapping yeah, a beer. It's what? Oh, only okay. don't put garlic salt in beer. People put garlic salt on foods. I I put it on on
2: me when I was in high school.
0: Good work, Ben. What are you drinking, by the way?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I am drinking a beer by Hardywood Park Craft Brewery, who just recently announced that they are expanding. They're opening a second location in Richmond's western suburbs. They fought off uh, North Carolina for that uh, expansion project. So, bad North Carolina. Not allowed to steal our hardy wood. Uh, but it is a Belgian gold nail finished in white wine barrels called Vinalia Urbana. And it's just a really light, crisp, gold nail. It's not terribly deep or complex, so I wouldn't give it five stars on untapped or anything, but it, it's a it's a solid four-star beer.
0: No complaints. No, nope, no complaints. I did like that when you you popped the cork very dramatically and on <laughs> mic. It was it was kind of like Sebi Salazar last week opening the the can of beer uh, on during the show. I, I part of me wishes you would have waited until we recorded.
2: But I was thirsty.
0: That'll that'll do it every time. That'll get you. yeah all right, let's let's talk about soccer now. D.C. United came from behind but fell to the new Shield leaders, F.C. Dallas, uh, this weekend, losing 2-1. Kellen Acosta scored from close range, uh, just knocking in a, a a very low and short cross at the near post uh, in the 73rd minute. D.C. United forced a Matt his own goal through Taylor Kemp with pressure from Arietta. Just four minutes afterward, but Fabian Castillo. Managed to win it in stoppage time after a bit of a pinball uh, effect inside the box. Uh, it is an interesting game, uh, certainly. There's, there are lots and lots, lots of things to talk about. Uh, we'll just pick a few of them to focus on. The first one I want to talk about, though, is that in some ways this had all the hallmarks of a classic Benny Ball performance on the defensive side of the ball. Dallas got a lot of shots off, almost every one of them was under pressure and or from long distance. They were, by and large, low percentage shots. Uh, They only had one chance that went missing. The rest of them were speculative, really. Uh, Ben, what did you make of the defensive performance, especially given that after halftime, DC uh, DC United very rarely saw the ball until Ender Dykstra pulled it out of his own net?
2: Yeah, um, I thought the defensive performance overall was obviously it was it was pretty good. I thought Steve Birnbaum had another very good game. He's put together a string of very good games. He was uh jumping out and blocking balls. He was uh, getting he had in the one direction. fantastic
0: tackle on Castillo in the box yeah, exactly. I and thought it was he was just perfect.
2: I thought he had a really good game. Boswell had not an excellent game, but he had a fine game overall. I mean for the goals, he was the closest man to the ball, but it's Especially the second goal, it's hard to blame him for that at all. Um, and um, the fullbacks were good enough. I mean, that's what you expect from Taylor Kemp and uh, Chris Korb. Uh, I mean, I wish Sean Franklin were back, and he, he might have been able to help some, but when you have Chris Korb and Taylor Kemp back there, that's basically what you expect. So overall, yeah, I thought...
0: Go
2: ahead. No, I mean, I was just concluding. Overall, I thought it was a very good performance from the center backs and a good enough performance from the full backs. And,
0: yeah, obviously, uh, uh, Andrew Dykstra still faced his share of shots. He made six saves, and, and FC Dallas had a whole bunch of shots. They were either blocked or went off target. Um, and, and Dykstra was absolutely huge when he yes, needed to be. Yes. Um, he he had a a couple of uh, point blank saves that were that were phenomenal, and his positioning was outstanding. He he played sweeper keeper at one point uh, to very good effect to prevent a one v one. He was he he didn't. I'll say this: he did not look like a backup in MLS. He looked like a starting quality keeper, and and that's what DC United needs right now with Bill Hamid out for the next month and change. So that was very nice to see. Jason, I want to ask you what the hell happened at halftime. In the first 45 minutes, D.C. United very much held their own. FC Dallas had their share of shots, but so did D.C. United. Both our center backs missed set-piece opportunities uh, with free headers. DC. Higher Arrieta created uh, a chance with pressure up high. It was... It was... I don't know if I can say it was even, but it was even enough and probably deserved mm-hmm. to be 0-0 going into the locker room. After they came out, it was 100% Dallas. It was one-way traffic until the ball went in the net finally for them. What what happened at halftime that changed the, the nature of this game?
1: Well, I'm, I'm not sure I agree that it was very even in the first half. Um, I felt like other, DC did have the two looks on corners, but there was a lot to be upset about. It was a frustrating first half uh, for me. Um, I also don't think um, the fullbacks played all that well, so I guess I'm just disagreeing with everyone. Um, it's
0: about time. We agree too often on this show, it's honestly. True. Um, so so it's nice to see some of this. Let's, let's get some right. banter, some hot takes going, Jason. I,
1: I will say that um, you're right that the second half, I'm, I'm immediately going back to normal. Um, you're right that the second half, Dallas stepped up the intensity, and it was almost, what was it, like 45 seconds into the second half, they were already creating a good look at goal. Um, it was almost immediate, and it it kind of, it was like 20 minutes of just a full-on high pressure, a siege, if you will, since we've already talked about sieges.
0: Um, but uh, So, I guess to tie it together, Dallas... Well, we can't say they were the Ottomans because no, they because weren't. the Ottomans, they, yeah, they they they're seizing, but agreed. we weren't besieging them, so we weren't the Ottomans. Who right. who are the Ottomans, Jason? No one. No one, the, no one is there the no Ottomans. Ottomans.
2: This is this this was the what? Uh, what the hell kind of parallel
0: is this you're trying to draw, Jason? It's Rome, it's,
2: it's Rome and the Visigoths.
0: Who cares yeah. about? We're talking about the Ottomans, Ben.
2: now, well, now we're talking about the Visigoths.
0: Um, Let's talk about Dallas instead. Yes. Uh, so
1: I guess I, I think Pareja brought his team in the locker room and just told them, "You're doing well. You could do a little better. Um, keep attacking. Step up, if if anything, step up and be even more attacking than you have been." Um, it seemed like for that first 20 minutes, they really they were almost playing with just two defenders. Their fullbacks were so far up into the midfield that it was like looking at a two four four. Um, at times. It was uh, an onslaught. Um, but they kind of ran themselves out um, and they didn't get the goal and there was like a 10 minute stretch there where DC from like the 65th um, until Dallas got their goal and then DC scored almost immediately in, in response. Um, during that period of the game, I thought DC actually started creating some looks. We got um, uh, Jairo Arietta creating a chance out of absolutely nothing. Um, by winning a ball along the end line, or really in the corner, and then bringing it in Mm -hmm. and turning it into something that, I mean, realistically, he's a goal poacher. It's not the kind of chance he normally creates. Um, I actually thought Arieta had a pretty decent game um, holding up the ball, especially because of the lack of help he was getting from everyone else. Um, But uh, it was a decent stretch to get the own goal. It felt like um, that was going to be enough. Um, I thought Dallas probably just didn't have anything left in the legs. But, uh, you know, they bring in Tesho Akindele. They uh, they push more and more. They didn't change formation um, from a on-paper perspective. They were still pushing their fullbacks really far up the field. Um, but I think that Dallas sensed that – or not so much sense, but I think they felt like there's no way they should not win this game and I think you have to give them credit for the determination they showed to go find the winner. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the end of the game was kind of uh, kind of a disaster. I don't necessarily want to take the, the question out off of you, Adam, but that's kind of where it's going.
0: Well, I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll walk <laughs> right into the door that you so kindly unlocked for me, uh, and, and that is a Facundo Coria-shaped hole in the wall who just... Kind of lost his mind for a second, ran right into four, what three, four defenders, and didn't even make a move. Just kind of tried to bull, bum rush them. Lost the ball, and and that's how Dallas took it the other way and scored. What the hell happened on that, Jason?
1: Um. Well, Correa came in. Uh, what the 85th minute. This was um, in the 92nd minute that this this moment of the game happened. Um. Dallas launched an attack. DC got it clear. Um, Marcus Halstie and uh, Davy Arnhood had combined to sort of get the ball out of danger and move it forward to Correa, who did have some space, uh, and he just sort of charged headlong down the middle. Um, he got he had Arietta uh, trying to distract one player. Connor Doyle came up the left at at not full speed but close to it um, to try and give him an option and. Corey had decided that this was his chance to go on and be a hero and go win the game more or less single-handedly um, rather than think about the fact that everyone else has been on the field in this searing Dallas heat for 90 minutes and they've been defending the entire time. Uh, your teammates are tired. This is, a, this is not a moment to be a hero. This is a moment to keep the ball and preserve a 1-1 draw. Um, and even if you do decide to go and do what he did, which is run right at Matt Hedges and get the ball poked away, Connor, uh, two touches before, or one touch before that, he had Doyle in space. Just play the ball mm-hmm. to Doyle and see what happens. Um, because at least out there, if the turnover happens there, it's that much further to get to goal. You're adding 20 yards to Dallas' trip from where they go in the ball to getting into the attack. Um, so on both fronts, whether he decided to go for the gusto or just play it safe, he got it wrong either way. Um, it actually reminds me of something from the, the distant past in soccer. Um, in, in 1997, um, France was trying to qualify, or not France, uh, not, not 97, 93. Um, they were trying to qualify for the World Cup in the US, and David Ginola, who people might remember from a hair care commercial, um, you would remember him more if this hadn't happened to him. Uh, he tried to launch basically a one man counter against Bulgaria. In deep into stoppage time, he got tackled, Bulgaria pushed the ball forward fast and scored a goal, then ended up knocking Fran- eliminating France. Bulgaria goes to the World Cup instead, and Ginola, I don't think, ever played for France again. Um, I don't know that Corey is never going to play for DC United again, but the fact is that if he just slows the play down, and that's the thing, as a fresh player, he should have the mental wherewithal to know, in this moment, like, his decision process should be good because he's been on the field for seven minutes at that point. He shouldn't be making the tired player decision of trying to do something that's just too going too far. Um, and so instead he tries to win the game. Dallas wins it. They push it up the field. Um, because Doyle committed to joining Correa's attack, there's now no one supporting Taylor Kemp, and Moro Diaz had been drifting out to the right a lot. So now all of a sudden Dallas is Passes from, from when they got the ball for, were from Hedges to Victor Uyoa to Mauro Diaz in space on the right. Taylor Kemp was caught between Diaz and Akindele making a run. Kemp didn't really know what to do. Diaz bypassed him with the ball, found Akindele. Akindele cuts the ball back to Uyoa, who shot is blocked by Kemp, but right to Castillo. Um, so Kemp was stranded and then had bad luck. I mean, he kind of has to make a dive for that ball, even though I think if he just didn't go for the block the shot goes straight to Dykstra. Uyoa did mm-hmm. not hit the shot very well, and Dykstra was in position to make the save. But as a defender, you don't know where your goalkeeper is. You see a shot coming in on goal, you try and get your foot in the way. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it just went to Castillo. But all of this doesn't happen if Correa just you know dribbles out to the right. You know, If he just takes the ball and charges out towards the wing, the, the other wing, or if he makes the pass to Doyle, United's probably sitting on 1-1, and we talk about how brave the defending was and blah, blah, blah. But now... We have two straight games against teams that were in the supporter shield race with us. That this might come, these tiebreakers are now Seattle and Dallas is against us. Um, if we finish tied in the, the shield standings, those teams will take a trophy off of us because of these last minute things in the last two
0: games. So We also dropped hard. six points in these two right. games. You well, know, not six, but two points. Um, or, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: but you know we lose the points, we lose the tiebreaker, and these are significant mistakes. These aren't minor midseason. I mean, no stoppage time loss is minor, but there's you know degrees of it. These could be major, major goals against. These these could be the goal we this could be a goal we end up talking about in October. Um, and the same with the Mears goal, though. At least on that one, it's like okay, the guy scores his first goal in five years. You know, to a certain extent, what are you going to do? Um,
0: and but what yeah, a goal it was too. Right. One goal it, of the it,
1: week. Right, it's a, it's a wonderful, and for once it's a Seattle player winning goal of, goal of the week on a goal that's worthy of it, rather than just because he
0: wears the right colored shirt. Um. But, uh. yeah, it's... It's, it's, it's one it's of the funny. few times that that ugly green can be called the right color.
1: That's true. Cor- correct more than right. Um, yeah. But, no, uh, Corey is experienced enough. It's not like he's a kid. He's he's uh in his late 20s. He's been through enough to know that that's not the moment to do that. Um, and I mean, the, goal, the obviously the goal isn't all his fault, and the loss is a fair—it's a fair thing to have lost that game de- on the balance of the whole game. But United had a chance to go to Dallas and come away with a point, missing the two best players on the team, uh, and threw it away on one like extremely low percentage counter attack. So, in, in fact, if Correa had just like taken a forty-yard shot that went ten yards over the crossbar, that would have been better than what happened. Pretty much what he did was the last thing you can do in that scenario at that moment in the game, and he did it. And I imagine he's going to have a hard time. You know, Ben Olsen's going to notice that um, <laughs> and going going to bring it up, and I imagine we might not see Coria making a substitute appearance in a little while, especially now that there are uh, there is one more attacker on the team. Yeah, we'll get
0: back or, we'll well, get to that. Well, I guess it's the same number, but one that's not injured, I should say. Yeah, yeah. we'll get to that uh, in the next segment. Uh, I just have one last thought on this game, and that's that this was a strangely non-confrontational, non-physical, I guess, not non-overly physical game between DC United and FC Dallas. FC Dallas, I think, f- as far as per game, probably is up there with Philly as most red cards when they meet DC United. And this game had one single card, and it came at the end of stoppage time when Jairo Arrieta... Um, Got run into by Dan Kennedy, and Dan Kennedy made a meal of it. Um, and so it—I'm it, not going to say it was a soft yellow. He did prevent Kennedy from releasing the ball quickly, and you're not allowed to do that with a goalkeeper. It was a fair yellow, but Dan Kennedy was kind of silly about how he drew it. Um, and that was the only card in the entire game. It was very strange to see that kind of game, especially with the skill involved. To be fair, from, from um, FC Dallas.
1: Perry Kitchen got a talking to for fouling Moro Diaz. Before, he had to go 10 minutes without fouling him, and then about 10 minutes into the second half, he fouled him again and got another firmer talking to. Um, and both times he managed to then avoid committing a foul on Diaz after that. Um, but both of those would have been um, – suspe- I think Kitchen would have gotten the yellow card accumulation suspension as a result. So he, he was uh, walking a tightrope, but he managed to survive. Um, so that's a positive, but yeah. He normally,
0: did successfully walk the tightrope.
1: Right, and and normally any game with Dallas period is full of yellow cards and red cards and acrimony and yeah. anger. Um, it also helped, it also helped that
2: uh, Michelle didn't start
1: or yes. play at all. Well, I mean, maybe there's a reason. One of the reasons why is that he is a. He's gotten his share of dumb red cards where he wasn't even provoked. It just sort of, he's like, I'm going to dive in now and see what happens. (laughs) Um, That and the whole, like, not doing any defensive work despite playing in the defensive midfield position. Um, But, yeah, uh, it was an interestingly non-acrimonious game. It was strange to see that. I kind of expected the game to be, I mean, there were a couple... Um, scuffles and arguments that Alan Chapman just decided to let everyone off the hook. Um, but for the most part, the game—I I thought this game was going to be ill-tempered, um, given the nature of the two teams—but it, it
0: surprisingly wasn't. It was nice to see. I mean, it was a professional performance from both sides, really. It,
1: it might help that I think Dallas from the start, or when the game probably you know 15, 20 minutes in the game, they started to realize how much how in control they were that it was kind of an incentive at that point not to be the jerk and not to get cards and not to get yourself in trouble with the referee. Uh, So Dallas maybe had a reason to behave more, more so than the normal, like I don't want to get a red card because that's bad, um, which is not something that necessarily, it's not a thought that necessarily goes through the heads of FC Dallas players that often. Um, But maybe this, this extra incentive helped them to be like, no, tonight, tonight I'm going to not throw an elbow or dive in with my studs out of, out of the blue. And for no apparent reason, um, so good for them, I guess.
0: Well, it, it worked out well for them because they're now, I think they have the tiebreaker over everybody in the Supporter Shield race. So they are, they they are now, currently they would win leading it, the league. Today. Yeah, they're leading the league, so it obviously did work out well for them. Um, we'll talk more about D.C. United and their return to RFK. We'll talk about the U.S. national team, too, uh, after this break. We'll be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, yeah. And you never, ever use the term correctly?
2: Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly.
0: Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do.
2: Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them?
0: Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for free consultation go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, Adam Taylor, Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. Drinking some um, margs. Drinking some margs, mostly just beer and or gin. No margs. (laughs) (laughs) Jason's the one drinking liquor and he he refuses to. No margs. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say refuses to say marks, but that is apparently not the case. We had an interesting conversation during the break, you guys. That, that, that's all I have to say. Uh, DC United returns to RFK at long last this weekend to face the Philadelphia Union Sunday afternoon, 5 p.m. That game will be on ESPN2. If you can't make it to RFK, but you really should make it to RFK because this one's on national TV, so you can record it on your DVR. Don't worry about it. Um, and, and you know, make make D.C. look good on national TV, so, so get out to the stadium. Uh, the Union right now are on the side of the red line, 22 points from 21 games. Um, not great there. They've won 3 of 5, however, uh, but they haven't won on the road since May 24th. In fact, that's their only road win this year. They have one other draw on the road, unless I missed something when I glanced over their schedule. They have four points from road games this year. They're pretty bad, is what I'm saying. And we get them at our place this weekend. So so this one should be a win. We said the same thing the last time we played the Union, of course, at Philly in the Open Cup. And it didn't exactly work. Uh, ten-man Philly came from behind to beat us. That was not – I'm sure a lot of you blocked that out already. That was not a, a good look, not a good night for D.C. United. Jason, what did Philly do in that game and should we expect them to reprise that whatever it is they did in that game? Uh
1: what the union did was was it was an inventive thing to do at first it just that we should have figured it out and it just kept working over and over again. Um once CJ Stepong was sent off for what really shouldn't have been a red card, um they just they left Maidana uh on his own as a false forward, they found him every time and he would control the ball with one touch and then immediately turn and try and lob the ball over the defense for either someone on the left or someone on the right to sprint onto. And every time he got the ball, either a fullback or a midfielder just took off running and he would just lob it in over and over again. And that's how all of the danger that Philadelphia created in that game came from Maidana chipping balls over the top and having someone sprint onto it from the wings. Um no one ever adjusted. No one from the midfield dropped to just cover Maidana. None of the center backs just stepped up to deal with Maidana and be physical because the center backs have a massive physical advantage over Maidana. He's a playmaker. He's not used to being a back-to-goal uh sort of guy. And it just kept happening. It was it was maddening, especially since the red card was followed almost immediately by DC scoring a goal. Um that should have that game should have ended immediately from there. Uh and instead it was not just Philly creating the occasional chance, they dominated that game with 10 men. Um, and in this game uh, at RFK, it's probably safe to expect more of the same because I assume that they're going to sort of concede the idea of getting the ball. Um, they know that United doesn't hasn't uh, created a lot in a while on offense, so they're probably going to be content to let United have the ball, let them take the burden of being the creative team uh, in possession, and then when they win it, They're going to look for Maidana, and then the wingers and the fullbacks are going to take off running. And this time, they'll also have uh, Sapong uh, up front, so they've got one more person that can take off running, and they also have someone they can use as a back-to-goal outlet that is actually good at that. So, unfortunately, this is going to be a tricky game, and and, unless United can show that they are prepared to make the adjustment to that, that way of attacking United, that's a until they show it, you have to believe that they're going to continue to struggle with it because every game against the Union has been more difficult than it should be on paper because on paper, the Union are not a good team. Um, There's a reason they are where they are. Uh, And thus, uh, the games against them have all been frustrating. Even when we beat them, it was frustrating. Um, And unfortunately, until I see otherwise, I have to expect the trend to continue because right now, United isn't in good form. They're not creating much on offense. Um fortunately a spindle will be back, but uh defensively is what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the how we how United is dealing with Maidana, how they deal with the runners from the wings, where where Philly does they don't have great players, but they've got a lot of speed. And that can go a long way. Um especially if you just don't if you just get surprised by it over and over again. It almost doesn't matter how good the players are. I mean Dominic Oduro, until recent years when he finally started to finish, still was a decent MLS player by just running fast on the wings and and teams that weren't prepared for it paid for it. And uh, until United shows that they can be prepared for a fairly straightforward strategy that's easily disrupted by just not letting Maidana chip the ball in, then this will continue to repeat itself for another 90 minutes. So that's the job is deal with Maidana and prevent these runs or prevent these runs from turning into something more accurately.
0: So, Jason, you mentioned that D.C. United hasn't created a lot of offense in, well, longer than anybody's comfortable with right now. <laughs> D.C. United did something about that this past week, uh, trading Luis Silva, uh, who had a good run here for about two years, um, co-leading scorers both seasons, he finished in D.C. United, Uh trading him to RSL for all-time RSL-leading goal scorer Alvaro Sabarillo, who will wear number nine and be a number nine for DC United, which is something United hasn't had since Eddie Johnson got, you know, had his situation developed during the playoffs last year. And, and arguably even then when he, he was out for a good chunk of last season, and that was when United played well without a number nine. But easy to see that... that they could use somebody to help occupy the center backs and and do the things a number nine does, score some goals. Uh, He, of course, played with Fabian Spindola, who, like Jason said, will be back this weekend against Philly. Ben, talk about Sabo a little bit and and what he brings to the table, and do do you think it really will help jumpstart the attack?
2: I mean, yeah, I definitely think it'll jumpstart the attack. Um, He's going to be a number nine, and we found out today that he's going to be wearing number nine for DC United uh, that the team hasn't had since Eddie Johnson was able to fulfill that role for about half a season, but it's been a long time before that since DC United has had a real traditional number nine. So I think that alone will... uh, prove some benefit to DC United. And the fact that he already has experience with Fabiano Spindola is going to be a boon for the team. It's going to be... I mean, he's going to have to get used to DC United, but it's not going to be the same as a regular player coming mid-season to a new team. He knows some people already, so that's going to help a lot. So... I really do think he's going to help the team. He's going to provide them a different dimension that they haven't had uh definitely not this season um and it's going to be good to see i expect him to get some time uh in this game i wouldn't be i wouldn't even be surprised if he started uh, against the union and got 60 minutes or so so i think he'll get regardless i think he'll get significant time uh this coming weekend
0: yeah, and he, of course, is available for this game after the shenanigans that happened in uh, at, at the new Meadowlands Stadium this week. And we'll talk about that later in the show. But he was off on Gold Cup duty for the game against Dallas and so not available to join. He'll be there for this game. I think you're right, Ben, that, that there's every possibility that he gets some minutes, uh, significant minutes, in, in this game. Uh, Jason, we, we talked about it when... DC United visited the Union in Open Cup play and it was how tired the Union were going to be and unfortunately that didn't pan out but they have an Open Cup game this Tuesday and we know Jim Curtin doesn't like to rotate players so is this an another opportunity to do better and and take advantage of what should be a very tired broken team
1: Uh, well it, it's it's going to be something... Certainly, there's going to be some sort of energy drop-off. Um, when United played the Union in the Open Cup, I think the Union played like a team who knew that their season sort of hinged on that game. Um, and to their credit, they didn't let the occasion sort of um, back them down into into being afraid and nervous. Uh, they weren't overawed by the pressure they were under. Um that's kind of – Fortunately for us, uh, New York is the, – the Red Bulls are going to have to deal with that um, tomorrow. Uh, th- that game, by the way, is being played tomorrow at 4 p.m. because the Red Bulls idiotically scheduled a completely meaningless uh, money-grab friendly uh, for Wednesday. And the union, to their credit, stuck to their guns and said, no, the game has to be played as scheduled by U.S. Soccer, which is Tuesday. Um, and we're not going to move it. So the game will be played tomorrow at 4, because that is uh, what the Red Bulls are stuck with. The Red Bulls are apparently going to play their best players in the real game and not in the stupid, useless, friendly. um, That is part of the international champions, uh, whatever. Uh, Don't watch those games, is what I'm trying to say. Um, Watch the Open Cup game, though. Um, So the Union are going to probably throw everything they've got Um, in terms of energy, in terms of mental wherewithal, it's all going to be in that game against New York, just like it was against United in the Open Cup. So I think it's not so much the lack of... I think they're going to be a little tired, especially because they just... Curtin doesn't even have many players he can rotate in. It's it's not a deep team. Um, But I think they're also just going to be mentally coming down from either a loss that has ruined their year, more or less, or... um, a win that means that in the Open Cup things are great for them, but we've seen teams do well in the Open Cup that are bad teams, uh, do well in the Open Cup, and then have a letdown soon thereafter. Um, and either way, United has to punish them for the tired legs, the tired minds, the the lack of focus on league play. I mean, I know the Union essentially are behind the eight ball, well, they have to win MLS matches as well, but I I get the feeling that they've kind of pinned their hopes to the Open Cup mass. It's not quite as much as United in 2013, where it was entirely about the Open Cup and the league just didn't matter from, like, June onward. Um, fortunately for the Union, the uh, rest of the Eastern Conference is more or less terrible. So th- the Union have been kept alive by the, their peers, uh, not distancing th- themselves too much from them. But um, it's not like they're Montreal with... Um, six games in hand, or however many games it is for Montreal. Um, The Union are kind of screwed in in league play. Um, Them making the playoffs is kind of a long shot at this point. Um, So United needs to play at a higher speed from the start, I guess, is the main thing. Um, We saw ten minutes of it against Dallas. It needs to go for a little more than ten minutes. Um, It turns out you can't really... Unless unless you're the U.S. women's team, you can't win a game in the first ten minutes. Um, So, yeah, I I would... uh, I guess I'm just a little concerned with the fact that the Union are always a difficult opponent for United, regardless of how good United is and how bad the Union are, or vice versa. Games are always tough, um, but maybe this time the circumstances are helpful, uh, rather than the other way around, as in the
0: past. All right, like I said, that game goes down 5 p.m. Sunday afternoon on ESPN2, but why would you watch it on TV when you can be there in person? At RFK. It'll be great uh let's turn our attention now to the gold cup, which has now set the the semi finals. We saw the quarterfinals this weekend. United States had a a pretty 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 good performance against Cuba, winning uh, six to nothing over the overmatched and undermanned Cuban team that had seen five players including its single best player defect and run away from the team bus into the n- darkness of the night, tears streaming down his face. Um, when Cuba comes to the U.S., it's, it tends to get emotional and interesting and not necessarily on the field. Um, so they won 6 to nothing. Clint Dempsey uh, scored his first ever hat trick in a national team uniform. Ben... Are you taking anything from this performance? The USA gets Jamaica in the, the semifinals down in Atlanta, I want to say. Yep, um, Atlanta. This week. So, so other than a boost of confidence from Jesse Zardes and Omar Gonzalez and Aaron Johansson scoring goals, and Aaron Johansson's goal was pretty, don't get me wrong. Other than the confidence uh, factor, is there anything they can take from, from this game? I mean,
2: it's always good to win, and it's good that Aaron Johansson and Jazzy Zardas and Amor Gonzalez, all of them, it's good that they were a part of that win. And if uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, in his infinite bafflement, uh, if he decides to play them in the upcoming game against Jamaica, it'll be good for them that uh, they had that good experience against Cuba and that they have some confidence going forward. That said, I don't necessarily expect. Uh, Jurgen to do the sane and right thing. Uh, unlike Jill Ellis who was able to learn and adapt. I don't know. I think we have more evidence that Jurgen just does whatever Jurgen wants to do, and he's not bothered by our earthly uh, rhyme or reason. So we we'll, I, I mean, it should be still enough to win the gold cup. So. I don't think it really matters in the short term, but in the long term, it would be nice to see them building towards something and figuring something out. So all of that to say is, I mean, individual players that we want to see continue playing forward, yes, I definitely think they can get something personally from it, but as a team, as outsiders, no, there's nothing to read from this game as a whole.
0: I I can't disagree. Jason, um even with the win, I'm sure you found even with the dominant scoreline, I'm sure you found some flaws that you're not thrilled with. Cuba actually had a couple of chances in this game.
1: Yeah, they I mean they did, but I think their chances really came after the US already had three goals. Um the game was pretty much dead. And I think that the only real quibble I'd have is that the U S sort of stopped playing, but I mean, it's hard to blame a team when you're up three, nothing and, and the goals are coming so easily. Um, the fourth goal right before halftime, um, really kind of underlined the whole thing. Um, really, I I can't think of too much other than the the continued starting presence of Timmy Chandler, which just is completely inexplicable at this point. Um, Uh, I can't. I can't emphasize it enough. Really is the first game in this tournament. A Bundesliga veteran playing in the Gold Cup, which is a step down, uh, completed fifty percent of his passes uh, in a professional soccer game. It's 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 not like he was the goalkeeper punting the ball up to you know a lone forward. This was a guy playing in the field, completing half of his passes. Um but he continues to start. Um I guess if the thought is that the semifinal will be the tougher game, so therefore play your your lesser right back and then rest him, quote unquote, for the semifinal, so be it. But I, I feel every time Chandler starts at this point I feel like I'm being trolled. Not just as a like I don't think feel it I I do feel that all US fans are being trolled, but I also feel like I'm personally being trolled. Um it's both. Yeah. It's, it's, I wonder if Marcus
0: Beasley I wonder if Demarcus Beasley feels like he's being trolled because probably. he came out of international retirement for this game I mean, for, I, for this knockout stage, and he was left on the bench. I, I've got to imagine that
1: Klinsman brought him in and said specifically, "Look, I'm I'm looking to use you in the semifinal and the final." Um, given given you know when Beasley probably arrived, Klinsman at that point had taken you know stock of who was feeling fit, who wasn't, um, who has got a knock here and there. Um, and looked at it and said, okay, this is how we're going to plan it out, um, and it means Chandler playing one more game. That's that's me obviously being very willing to give credit to Klinsman, um, which is a dangerous game to be playing. Um, but the the alternative of that is that Klinsman called Beasley in just to hang out, um, and so Houston is deprived of a left back for no reason. Beasley is away from his home and, and family for no reason, and just hanging out with the team, which, I mean, there are already plenty of people hanging out with the, the men's national team. There's a huge um, support staff. They don't need an extra guy to come hang out. Um, they don't need extra veterans that can provide you know, good locker room presence. They've got that as well. Um, so if it's not a plan, there is literally no point to have have asked Beasley to come out of international retirement to hang out. It doesn't make
0: any sense. So I've got to expect
1: that that, that is exactly Jamaica,
0: what Jurgen Klinsmann has done. Right.
1: right. Now, and and obviously we're we're not too far away from when we'll find out at kickoff that, that Beasley is not starting against Jamaica and and Chandler is and uh we'll all have um what will probably happen is the US will do some things wrong win the game anyway and there will never be a consequence but the process will be a mess and Beasley will be there for no reason and our complaints will continue uh, unabated until something changes.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, the, the, the complaints you're hearing, by and large, from from this weekend's CONCACAF games, though, are, are coming out of Costa Rica and, well, really out of everywhere on behalf of Costa Rica, who got completely jobbed in stoppage time of the second period of extra time. Uh, against Mexico, who who won that game one to nothing, after just a total dive in the box. There's no question. Doctor Joe was brought on, and Ben, I don't, I know you don't love Doctor Joe, but he didn't mince his words. Don't when love. He said,
2: don't love. Really? Doctor
0: Joe said there was no defense. There's no explanation for this call, especially the robot, given the fact please? that there's. I can't control the internet connection, Ben. Come on. Not, not your robot. Don't get meta Dr. I mean. Je-
2: Dr. Joe's robot voice. <laughs> you just couldn't hear what I was saying because of your own robot voice. So you went it's, meta it's on yourself.
0: I went double meta, triple meta. Um, <laughs> but the, there really was no explanation for this call, especially since there should not have been any added time on the second half of, of extra time. There was no reason to add two minutes to it to get Mexico to the point where they should have, where they could win this penalty. Never mind the 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 fact that uh, who was it? It was uh, who won the penalty? It was their forward. Um, Guardado? Whose name is escaping me right now. Say again.
2: Was it Guardado?
0: No, it wasn't. He scored the penalty.
1: Yes, um, he scored
0: the penalty. But it was. I don't remember.
1: I, I normally I would be chiming uh, in, but I haven't watched the game yet. I have it on my DVR. I was out all day so I missed it. Sorry spoilers. It's some dude. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> this is what <laughs> we should have had Seve on this Thanks guys. <laughs> we 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 really should have. I think it was was it a, a Roscoe? Yeah, it, it doesn't was, matter. Who, whoever it was. A uh, uh, dude. He he shouldn't have been on the field either. He was he was shown the grace of the referee with a yellow card for what really should have been a a red card worthy scissor tackle. Um where he followed through on the trailing leg, and it was it was ugly, and he should have been off. So there were multiple decisions the referee made that graced Mexico and get got them in the position to con the ref into uh, a penalty. And, and if ever a team got con it was Costa Rica in this one. It, it should have gone to PKs. Uh, no era penal, et cetera, et cetera. The semifinals are... Wednesday night of this week, the USA faces Jamaica first at 6 p.m., Mexico-Panama, where you can expect lots of stuff to get thrown on the field by fans of both teams, no matter what happens. Uh, that goes down at 9. Uh, Fox Sports 1, I think, has has all the action. Um,
1: Probably. It might be on – I haven't looked it up yet, but it might be on real Fox because it's the U.S.
0: Actually, Actually, no. The U.S. is on Fox Sports 1, Panama-Mexico relegated to Fox Sports 2. Hmm. A, uh, a Continental both games uh, has
1: been relegated to Fox Sports
0: 2. Yeah, so Great. next time someone talks to you about what a good job Fox is doing promoting the game, and don't get me wrong, they have exceeded my every expectation with the Women's World Cup and their coverage of the Gold Cup, um, except for this one, putting the semifinal on Fox Sports 2. That exactly meets my expectation for what Fox is doing. But for the most part, they've been they've been doing okay with with their coverage. Guys, that's all I have in my show notes. Anything else you guys want to touch on?
1: Um I would say with Jamaica, the main thing to worry about is the speed they have up front. Um Giles Barnes and uh Simon Dawkins who you might remember from his uh outstanding season when San Jose won the supporter shield in two thousand twelve. Um they are the forwards. They're both extremely fast. They like to dribble um Jamaica plays pretty much a standard 4-4-2. It's not – not, they're not reinventing the wheel um, tactically at all. I think that's what the the players are used to. Most of them play either in MLS, in England, um, a lot of them. The, the ones that aren't naturalized uh, Jamaicans came up through the Jamaican League, and most of those clubs play 4-4-2 on a regular basis. So it's kind of keeping it simple and just getting at – almost getting the tactics out of the way. Um but uh, they've got some good players. Um, they these naturalized players that they've they, um, that they've brought in in the last few years. They've added to that. Um, we saw in qualifying that they they were better in this last uh, hexagonal than they were um, in the past five to ten years, really. And they've only added to that. Now Barnes just joined uh, Jamaica after the hexagonal ended, so he's he's new to the team. Dawkins is even more recent um, in deciding to play for Jamaica. Um, so this is a team that's come a long way. Um, they're not, they're, they're well-drilled defensively. They know, um, they know that the the game is more won on the counterattack with them than it is by dominating the uh, possession. Um, they are missing their starting goalkeeper though. And the goalkeeper they actually started against, um, Haiti was Dwayne Thompson or not Dwayne Thompson, uh, Ryan Thompson, the other goalkeeper's name is Dwayne Miller. He's the one that's injured. Um, but Thompson is the goalkeeper for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who was unavailable to play in the Open Cup game against DC United. Um, so it's an interesting situation Jamaica's in because they've got guys that are playing in MLS and the Premier League, but they also have players in their squad that are in the USL. Um, but I guess in CONCACAF, that's still pretty good compared to, I mean, we've seen some of the other teams come in where Haiti, for example, Player for, a player for them in the USL is a important player for them. So, Jamaica is going to be a much more difficult opponent. Um, the US can't afford to play like they did in the group stage because they arguably could have lost to Honduras. They could have lost to Panama. If they play like that against Jamaica, they it's probably going to catch up to them. This is probably not that Jamaica played that well against Haiti either, um, but they did enough and I think against the U.S., we're going to see... I guess the U.S., Jamaica's going to be better than they were against Haiti, and I think the U.S. has to step their level of play up um, and, and put in a performance that people can actually be excited about. So far, we've seen three bad performances, and then one where it was like, yeah, well, you beat Cuba, so what? Um, this is the game where it has to be... you played The U.S. played well, and we're not sitting here talking about asterisks or complaining the entire time about the U.S. performance. It has to be... Maybe not brilliant, but at least has to be pretty good. Um, Jamaica has no pushover at this point.
0: Well, that's where we're going to end it this week. Thank you all for listening to the show. Find us on blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the show, at blackandredu for the website. Um, we've got lots of coverage coming. Uh, the games aren't quite as fast and furious as they've been, uh, but but our coverage will never slow down, right, Jason? Three articles uh, a day, or an hour, every hour, forever?
1: Pretty much. Uh, there's, right? no, there's no time to leave your computer. You just have to stay near it uh, at all times. Even if you're trying to cook, you need to keep it within uh, arm's reach, because you never know when uh, another game has to be played, which you should know, but somehow you don't. You know, it's always a surprise. And by you, I if mean I'm not me.
0: mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, Ben, you've actually written four articles since we started recording.
2: Obviously. And they will go up both in the past and in the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is how we have to do it in the modern era of nonstop, multi-game soccer. Um, we will talk to you guys uh, real soon. Oh, I, I, I guess I should mention that, that we are tunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. So, so find us there. Give us ratings and reviews. Mostly just tell a friend about the show. That is the single best thing you can do for us. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Ehrlich Law Office for sponsoring us. We will talk to you guys next week. And till then, say goodbye Jason.
1: Goodbye, Jason.